Welcome to the 361st episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Greta Kelly, author of the debut novel, The Frozen Crown. And stay tuned after the interview for a short excerpt from the audiobook of Greta Kelly's The Frozen Crown. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story, one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S. Check out Libro.fm today. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Greta Kelly, author of the debut novel, The Frozen Crown. Greta, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, if someone hasn't heard about your novel, The Frozen Crown, yet, how would you describe the novel? So The Frozen Crown is about a princess named Askia whose country has been invaded, and she leaves her armies behind and sails to a foreign court to beg its emperor for aid. But a different kind of war awaits her at court, where one wrong word could mean the end of both her people and her life. The Frozen Crown is the first in a duology, and its sequel, The Seventh Queen, will be coming out later this year. Well, do you remember the original impetus or idea that led you to write The Frozen Crown? Oh, gosh. I feel like there's always so many different threads that kind of lead into any story. But for me, one of the main ones is I I grew up growing up, I had two older brothers. I have an older sister as well, but my brothers were closer in age to me. So I was always running around after them, hoping to be included in all their games and watching TV and movies. And and movies were a big part of our childhood growing up. We we live in Wisconsin and long winters, so (laughs) (laughs) movies were a big deal. And inevitably, the boys would always want to watch some kind of war movie or another. And as I grew up, I started to realize either the women were just non-existent in those movies, or they were these two-dimensional little wallflower creatures that really did nothing. So, but I I still love, I love the genre and I wanted to do something and write something that would include someone a little bit more like me or someone who, who belonged in that world. And Askia is a warrior to the bone. And really, um, you know, I had this just dream one day of a, a woman alone on a horse with an army behind her. And I think that image is... It stems from all that time sitting with my brothers on cold winter days watching Gladiator or Braveheart or whatever other war movie you could think of. So 
I, yeah, I really think that's where the Frozen Crown came from originally. That's great. Well, what was your writing journey that led you to writing and getting your debut novel published? So I I was always a writer um, from middle school and high school on. I was always writing my own little short stories and attempts at novels. But sometime around when I went to, to college, I got this idea in my head that writing wasn't something that real people did. So I, I kind of stepped away from it for a couple of years and you know got that generic business degree so I could support myself. And when I finally graduated, I got my first job at a local bank, a lovely place to work, but I was just so miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nope, I can't do this. I can't do this forever. Um, so I, I circled back to writing and I, I wrote my novel before The Frozen Crown, um, I call it my training wheels novel because it's a perfect disaster of all the mistakes every writer needs to make before they <laughs> can can write something that's decent at all. Um, and I spent way too long on that training wheels novel, but I learned so much from that experience. And perhaps nothing's more important than when it's time to step away from a story that's not working. Um, but it got me ready for that so that when I finally had the idea for The Frozen Crown, I was ready to to step away and dive into the frozen crown and just, you know, seize that opportunity with, with both hands. And here we are. Great. Well, can you tell me a little bit more about this training wheels novel? What, (laughs) what, what mistakes do you think that you were making that you learned that, that went into writing and getting the frozen crown published? Yeah. So I had this idea uh, in my head that all, all writers, you know, wrote by the seat of their pants and I suppose, and it works for some writers really well. Um, for me, it was a disaster. I, it turns out I'm terrible at being a pantser. I, of course, I didn't realize that until I'd already written 800 pages of a book that had no real plot and about six point of view characters. And you know, pretty much any any mistake that you could with writing fantasy, I made. You know, starting with all those extra point of view characters and having you know four pages dedicated to describing scenery. <laughs> <laughs> just any mistake you could make I made. But I learned so much from that book because I I knew once I finished it that it was terrible. And then I had to figure out what happens next. So I learned how to, so much about how to edit my own work from from that novel and eventually I, I learned a little bit about writing a query letter to that novel. And um of course writing the query letter is what finally made me realize that it was unsalvageable because <laughs> if you can't boil down your story into those three paragraphs, you've got a problem. <laughs> But there's no wasted words, truly. And even though it it was agonizing at the time to to know that this story wasn't working, um, I wouldn't have the frozen crown if I hadn't spent that time trying to make that story work. Right. Well, in terms of outlining, as you said, that you weren't really good at kind of organic kind of mm-hmm. pantsing, following the story where it led. Uh, I'm curious if you could talk about a little bit of the nuts and bolts. What did you... Um, figure out or what did you work on in terms of, of outlining as you started working on the frozen crown as opposed to this earlier novel? Yeah. So I did a bunch of research online and I seized on, I think it's the seven point plot. I think Jeff Wells might be the person who um, originally uh, put that out on YouTube a number of years ago, but basically it was this plotting structure that helps you identify what seven points in your story need to happen. And as long as you have those seven points and they make sense, you can at least know that you'll have a plot of some some sort. <laughs> so I started with that one with Frozen Crown, and 
I realized that it was a lot less confining than I had thought plotting would be. I think, you know, from working in high school, we're all told to do outlines at some point or another or synopses. And I had it in my head that it would just be so, um, it would feel like doing homework. And thankfully, that wasn't the case. It felt a lot more creative than I was expecting it to be. And so I, I outlined The Frozen Crown that way. And because I'm very much someone who enjoys a checklist, I even started going you know, chapter by chapter or scene by scene. These are the things I want to have happen. And just the action of being able to check something off the list really helped propel me through that first drafting phase. So I, I probably outline a lot deeper than I ever thought that I would, but you know, it helps me get the words out. So that's all that matters. <laughs> and so what is it about fantasy that appeals to you as a writer and a reader? Oh gosh, I just I've always loved fantasy. Of course, there's that escapism part of it. Um in college though, I I studied abroad several times and I also um minored in international studies. So there is this always has been this part of me that wants to understand how the world works. And in fantasy, you get this unique opportunity to create your own world and to create the rules of that world and and kind of dig deep into whatever nuts and bolts are um, interesting you at that time. So I, I you know, I, I've always loved fantasy. So I think it's something I'll always come back to. But I think in the Frozen Crown, you can probably tell that I have a little bit of an international studies, political science background <laughs> from from those college years. Um, but I just I love it when a fantasy feels like it could be real, even though it's set in a place that's completely different from our world. People at the end of the day are still people, and you can kind of count on them to act in their own interests. And I just think there's a there's no end to possibilities when it comes to fantasy. Great. Well, you mentioned earlier. Um, writing a query letter, what was the publishing process like for you for getting uh, your novel published? Yeah, so I think it might be a little bit different for me than for many writers. Um, For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. After I had written a couple drafts of Frozen Crown, I still knew that there were, were issues with it, and I didn't quite know what to do at that point. Um, so I went online and I started looking for independent editors, and I found a wonderful independent editor by the name of Rebecca Heyman, and she helped me figure out how to edit the Frozen Crown and to turn it into something really wonderful. And at the end of that process, she said, "Hey, I've got this." conference. I think you would really be great there. There's this agent coming that I think would be a great fit for you. What do you think? And um, I was so scared. I almost said no until my husband was like, really? What have you got to lose? (laughs) (laughs) So he kind of browbeat me into going. Thank God he did because I I met my my original agent at that conference. She loved the Frozen Crown. um, And we sold it to Harper Voyager later that year. And this was actually back, I think, in late 2018, early 2019. And people are always surprised when I when I say that because the Frozen Crown obviously just got published this year, and they're like, 
does it always take that long to get published? Well, I mean, it always takes a long time, but not usually that long. <laughs> but they, they wanted to do it that way because they knew going in from when they bought The Frozen Crown that they wanted the duology to be completed within one year, which is becoming more common. But at that time, it was a very new concept to have the entire series basically be done in one year. Um, so I had some extra drafting and, and writing to do with the sequel between then and now. But so far this year has been great. And I can't I can't wait to share the next book with everyone. That's great. And do you have a title for the next book? Yes, it's called The Seventh Queen. Great. Well, given your experience thus far in, in getting your first novel published, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Yeah. So one piece of writing advice I always come back to is don't be too precious with your with yourself. So that means don't don't psych yourself into this idea that you can only write in one perfect spot, in one perfect, you know, when when the sun is out or when you only have this perfect cup of coffee. Don't don't rely on those crutches because life will always get in the way. But it also also applies to your own writing. Don't be precious with the words that you put on the page. You have to learn to be ruthless and to have thick skin, both when it comes to giving yourself feedback, but also when it comes to getting feedback from other people. Um, You don't always have to take the advice that you get, but you should always think critically about it and and decide if it's something that is going to apply to your story and make it better or not. And um, yeah, I think you you can only benefit from learning to get that thick skin when it comes to your writing. Sure. So have you started thinking about ideas or have you actually started writing something beyond the duology at this point? Yeah. So I am working on something else. It's more of like an adventure type story, kind of like the show Firefly meets um, The Lies of Locke Lamora, which is a fantasy novel that I love. Oh, it's um, a wonderful it, novel. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big departure <laughs> in tone from The Frozen Crown. Um, but I'm having so much fun with that kind of found family and um, you know, rough riding adventure type type story. It's it's been a lot of fun so far. So I'm hoping it finds a, I finds a home eventually, but stay tuned. <laughs> That's great. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? So I recently read Hall of Smoke by H.M. Long. She's also a debut author this year. Um, I loved that book. It's um it's Viking inspired, but in such a realistic way that you feel like it could almost be history, you know, if you ignore like the magical aspects of it. So that book was just wonderful to read. And I also just started reading The Blood Print by Asma Zahana Khan, and I'm enjoying that immensely. It's it's a beautiful book. So yeah. That's great. <laughs> well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novel, The Frozen Crown? So I have a website at GretaKKelly.com. I am also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Greta K. Kelly. I'm still figuring out Instagram, so bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> but I can be found on all those platforms, and I, I really do try to keep them up to date. But if you follow me on any of those platforms, you might know that I just had a baby in January. So <laughs> be patient. <laughs> yeah. Totally understandable. Well, again, we've been speaking with Greta Kelly, author of the debut novel, The Frozen Crown. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Greta, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much. Great. Now stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of The Frozen Crown by Greta Kelly, performed by Amandi Jade Powers and published by Harper Audio.
Available wherever audiobooks are sold. I pulled the cloak closer about my shoulders, ignoring the bead of sweat dripping down my spine. From my hilltop perch, the walled city of Eshkaroth wasn't much to look at. The smallest holding in the free state of Idun, it had only a few hundred inhabitants crowded about a crumbling seaside castle. The legion at my back could take it in an afternoon, but I hadn't come to start a war. I'd come to end one. General Arcadi edged his horse closer to mine, and an expression I couldn't quite name creased the map-like wrinkles of his face. What do you see? I murmured, my voice too low for the soldiers behind us to hear. His silence was like a great intake of breath. A city, he replied, whole and alive. Tears prickled my eyes and I blinked them away, telling myself it was the bite of the winter wind making them water. Not because of the fact that a city like this, gray and humble though it looked from here, no longer existed in Saravesh. Our homeland, pillaged and burning and crawling with invaders, lay less than a mile north of here. But with the jagged peaks of the Peshkalor Mountains shading my back, I might as well have been a hundred miles away. The strangled screams of everyone I'd left behind echoed through the passes, reverberating through my skull. Though my mind knew our last hope lay in the city below, my heart begged me to return to Saravesh as if even standing on these southern slopes, a few days and a world away from home, was a betrayal. Raise the banner, General Arcadi growled at the soldiers around us. Hood up, princess, he added, softer this time. I glanced over my shoulder in time to see an all-too-familiar form separate from the line of cavalrymen. Vitali twitched his reins and his mount leapt forward, cantering past me in a streak of dark hair. A stretch of fabric blew behind him, a black wolf on a field of blue. The banner of the kingdom of Saravesh snapped in the cold breeze, the same banner from which my black wolf legion took their name. A raucous cheer erupted from my waiting soldiers as Vitali rode down the ridgeline. A low rumble began in the general's chest, like he couldn't contain his displeasure at this undisciplined display. I hid my smile by drawing up the black wolf head of my cloak. The scene Vitali had caused wasn't something the city below could ignore. Their lookouts were surely scouring the line for a leader, and my cloak was distinct. They would see it and report my presence. Vitali circled back to us, pulling up his horse with a grin. Are you done? Arkady asked, casting a baleful look at the younger man. Vitali winced, but his smile didn't quite fade. Just trying to keep spirits up, sir. He glanced over his shoulder, no doubt taking in the men's haggard faces. 
Crossing the mountains always exacted a toll, but a cadre of enemy soldiers had stalked us over the range this time, only turning back when it was clear we were headed for Eshkaroth. Arkady's eyes narrowed. And what good will high spirits do? They must think we mean to attack now. The envoy's probably making a run for it as we speak, if he came at all. No, the word bubbled out of me before I could stop it. The envoy had to be here, if he wasn't. Look, Vitali stabbed a finger toward the castle, his face bright with triumph as two flags were raised from the battlements, the blazing shield of Idun and the lion of Vashir. Relief washed over me. My call for aid hadn't gone unanswered. If the Vashiri emperor had sent an envoy, my cause was not lost. I could make my case, beg for help, and with it, claim my throne. We were so close. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.